Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Fill out that Connect card, we'll get back with you. Okay, well, let's do this. Let's jump into what we're talking about today. We are in week four of this series called Uncommon, and, uh, and, and, and we're looking at our relationships. We do a relationship series every year around this time, and we're taking a look at our relationships, and we've decided and landed on the idea that good relationships are possible, but they are not probable. In other words, they're not going to happen without some intentionality behind it and, and a certain kind of intentionality behind it. Because you and I are going about our relationships and we're getting the same results as everybody else is getting. In fact, we're, we're choosing to do our relationships the way our parents did them, the way our friends have done them. We're, we're choosing to do, do relationships the way some of our mentors have done them. And, and we're getting the same results they have. And a lot of us are not happy with those results. The fact is, is there's actually a difference between the world's way of doing things and God's way of doing things. And the world's way of doing things is this common way. It's a way that everybody does it. And so we, we use that as an excuse and sometimes don't even think about it. We just approach it and do it the way everybody else does it. But, but God has a way that is uncommon. That, that we are encouraged to take part of. And so that's what this series is all about, is doing things different so that we can have something that is different, all right? And so our key verse for the series is Romans 12, 2. It says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, don't just do it because everybody else is doing it. Don't, don't just do it because your parents said this was okay or because your friends go about their relationship. Don't, don't date like, like your friend does. Don't, don't just do it because everybody else does it this way. She says, but let God transform you into a new person. How does he do that? How does he do that? Because transformation is a process. You know that? Like anything that gets transformed like a butterfly, it starts out as, as a slimy little caterpillar, right? But it goes through a transformation, and that transformation is a process. And God says, I want to transform you. Don't do it the world's way. Let me transform you. Let me take you through a process. And he says, the way that you start that process, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So if you want to change your destiny, you need to change the way you think. That's where it starts. And so we have to have some new thinking when it comes to our relationships. That's what this series is all about, so that you have a new starting point. It says then, and only then, so once you get some new thinking, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, some of you are like, Aaron, that doesn't describe the kind of relationship that I currently have right now. That's not my marriage. I wouldn't say that it's good and pleasing. That's not, that's not my dating relationship. That's not my friendships. That's not my relationship with my kids. But here's the thing. If you allow God to transform you, if you decide to change your thinking, to decide to chuck the old way you've been doing it and do things God's way, then, then God will transform you. Then he will allow you to have relationships that you can call good. Now, in this series in Uncommon, we've been looking at the last three weeks, we've been looking at our, our level of commitment and how we commit to one another. Then we talked about the value of uncommon communication with one another. Last week, we talked about how to approach conflict in an uncommon way. And this week, this week is the sum total of this entire series because if you don't have the last three right, then you can't even begin to approach this one. And this week we're going to talk about uncommon influence. Uncommon influence. Now every single one of us in our lives are affected by influences and every single one of us today has influence. You have influence in your family, you have influence in your community, you have influence on the teams, you have influence over somebody sitting around you today. You have influence. And in your influence, you're either going to grow in your influence with somebody, or you're going to lose that influence with them. Influence touches everything. So what is influence? Influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of something. John Maxwell, a leadership guru, says the totality of leadership, all leadership equals, is one word, influence. 
That means if every single one of you has influence, that means that every single one of you is a leader. So everybody repeat after me. I have influence. I, have influence. I, am, a I am a leader. You have influence. And a lot of you don't think of yourselves that way. You don't think about yourself having influence. You think of other people having influence. You think of other things having influence, like when it comes to your kids. You're like, man, I don't want my kid hanging out with that kid because that kid is going to influence my kid in a negative direction, right? We want our kids hanging out with other good kids so that they can influence them well. We, we look at other people. We look at our boss's attitude. If our boss comes in and he's all grumbly, then it affects the entire environment for the day. He has influence or she has influence to affect how your day goes or your experience or, or even you, you're some, some, oh, wow, that was easy for me to say. I'd like to buy a vowel. <laughs> A lot of you are very intentional about what you watch or you listen to because you understand that it's influencing you. But you don't look at yourself and consider yourself an influencer. But each and every one of you has influence. Each and every single one of you is a leader, regardless of whether you have a position or a title in your life, you are an influencer. And as an influencer, you're going to face challenges, and the majority of those challenges you're going to face are going to be in your relationships. Unfortunately, we tend to let our experiences in some relationships affect other relationships or even future relationships. For me, I, I, I know I certainly did this, and I'm going to tell you a story about myself that I'm not really proud of, but many of you know this about me. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. I'm actually a really big nerd, and um, one of the things that I really geek out about and nerd about is like magic tricks, you know, like sleight of hand magic stuff. And for the last 24 years, I have done that. And, and through your magic journey, what happens is you, you learn other people's performances and different tricks and things. And, but as you learn and grow as an entertainer and as a performer, you start to develop your own routines. You start to develop your own ideas, and you, you start thinking about things in a different way, and, and you create a trick, if that makes any sense. You create a performance, and then as a magician, you can slap a label on that and sell it in a magic shop. Many of you today didn't even realize there were such things as a magic shop, but there are. There are magic shops out there. Told you I'm a nerd. And so... As somebody who is growing as a magician, as an entertainer, one of the things I started to do was to create tricks. And I had multiple relationships in my life, and, and one of them in particular, man, I was really enamored. Like, when I met this guy, I knew that this guy and I were going to be fast friends, and he was an excellent magician, and he, he, he mentored me and taught me a whole bunch of things that I'd, I'd never even knew or would have, probably never would have had access to. I'd found profound favor with him, and, and so we had a great relationship. And somewhere along the way... I shared with him, I got, I got into an intimate relationship with him and I trusted him and I shared with him one of the tricks that I had come up with. In fact, it was a trick that my friend and I had worked on together. And I, come to find out, much to my dismay and much to my surprise, my friend had taken my trick and gone and put it, filmed it, put it in a DVD box, contacted one of the largest magic retailers in the nation. I know, so nerdy. As I'm listening to it, it sounds terrible, but, <laughs> but he packages this, and then, and then he sold it under his name. He put out the product under his name. It was one of the most talked about tricks of the year. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it didn't have my name on it. It was very successful. Very, very successful. And in response to what he did, it changed me. It influenced my decisions. And I went down a path I think that we all go down. I think every time you and I get hurt or experience troubles in our relationships, we wind up doing one of these things, or this is the pathway. The first thing we develop is an attitude that I must protect. You tell yourself once you've been hurt in a relationship, I won't be hurt like this again. That as a result, I'm only gonna, not only going to protect myself from that person who hurt me, but I'm going to insulate myself in all my relationships so that I don't feel this kind of pain again. And you build up walls. And when you build up walls like this, as the walls go up, your influence goes down because you cut yourself off from people. The second thing you decide is that I must benefit if I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody going forward, I need to benefit. Like the, 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 you, you go with the with them, the what's in it for me. You, you begin to ask that question. Everybody becomes a target. What do they have that I want? Who, who is somebody I'm going to let in into my circle so that I can gain? 
And then you ask the question, you say, well, if there's no benefit, it's not worth the risk. And then, then you get to a place where you have to control it. Say, I got to control the relationship. And so you put controls in place so that it's not possible for them to hurt you. And this is just devastating and toxic to your relationships. And as the control goes up, so your influence goes down. And then you land in a place where you decide, I have to win, that I've got to be on top. Because if I'm not on top, I'm not going to share. I'm not going to be in a relationship. If they're not looking at me as the king, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to make sure that I benefit. I'm going to ask what's in it for me and control it all so I don't get hurt. And as we approach our relationships with this kind of attitude, we begin to limit our influence. It goes right out the window. You know, in response to what this guy did, I, I did some stupid things. And I'm going to tell you some things I've never told anybody else before. You ready? <sighs> I got mad. I went and hacked this guy's blog and started posting silly things in his name. I started talking trash, told, told the story of what happened and started talking trash to a lot of his contacts. He lost opportunities at conventions. He lost opportunities with dealers. People stopped selling some of his stuff as a result. I went around and told everybody about him publicly criticized him. I even went out in the next project that I did, which I filmed and put on DVD, I insulted him and his work on it. Like, you can watch me doing it. I did that on two projects. I allowed it to change me. Now, some of you are like, yeah, you got him. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's, I'm telling you, that was not the proper response. Not only did I respond in the common way, the way the world does things, the way the world responds to hurt, but I lost influence with others because I allowed it to change me. I allowed him to influence me. Truth is, each and every single one of you has a story like this. So by the way, if you thought I was perfect, I'm sorry to let you in on the secret that I'm not. If you felt that way, please have a conversation with my wife. She's right here. She'll let you know. <laughs> sorry to disappoint you. You'll find that that's a process. It's okay. But each of you has a story like this, and the reason that each of you has a story like this is because you're dealing with people. A lot of you have said and continue to say, man, I really love my job, but I can't stand the people. Man, I really, I really love my family, and I'd love them better if it weren't for the people in it. <laughs> now listen, if you're elbowing somebody next to you, you need to stop that right now, all right? There's no point of fingers today. In every area of our life, there are people. And because there's people everywhere, there are people problems. Honestly, if, if, you, were, if you were just to take like a real assessment and be, be perfectly truthful with everybody in this room, you might agree that oftentimes you are the people problem. You are part of the issue. Even Jesus faced people problems. Like, I mean, I think a lot of us look at Jesus and we look at the Bible stories and we look at his disciples, especially because they're called like, you know, Saint Peter and, you know, all these guys. Like, we think of a saint, we think of angelic, we, we think that they are perfect and that they were holy and that they're apostles and, 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 and the, you know, they're supernatural. All these things get attached to their names, but truly they were just regular guys, which means that they had issues. They had people problems. In fact, Peter... He was one of the guys that offered the most issues. There's a lot written about him, probably because he was such an issue maker. Like Jesus, Jesus talks a lot to Peter. He caused some issues. And as we look through the issues that Peter caused, I, I want you just to recognize that you are probably facing the same issues with people, and you are probably part of these same issues in people's life. So look, the first issue that Jesus faced and that you face is that people will disappoint you. People will disappoint you. So here's the scene. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. That's what the Bible says. But it also says he fed 5,000 men, which meant that there are women and children in that group that were not accounted for. Uh, theologians say that it was likely around 15,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish. I mean, that's a crazy story, right? That's a miracle. And coming off of this miracle, Jesus is, is exhausted. He's like, hey, to, to his disciples, hey, go across to the other side, they were on a shoreline, and Jesus was preaching from a boat, and he's like, hey, go to the other side. I'm going to go up in the mountain. I'm going to pray for a little bit, right? He withdrew to pray, and so the disciples are headed to the other side, 
And in the middle of the night, the waves are kind of rocking, and the disciples are trying to stay afloat and get across to the other side. And Jesus comes down. There's no boat for him to get across, so, so Jesus does what Jesus does. He just starts walking on the water, right? And, and, and that's pretty awesome, too. And as he's coming up on the disciples who are struggling to get where they're going, which is where Jesus told them to go, by the way. There's a whole other message there, but... They're struggling to get there. Jesus is walking up on them. They've never seen anything like this before. I mean, have you? Anybody here? Could you imagine this moment? They thought it was a ghost. And so as Jesus is walking up to them, they, they scream out, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, chill. It's just me. That's like my wording of what he said, but basically that's it. And Peter says, well, if it's really you, why don't you call to me, and I'll jump out and come walking to you. He says, come on, Peter. So Peter throws both of his legs over the edge of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus. Another miracle. It's amazing. But unfortunately, Peter disappoints Jesus because as he's walking towards him, he suddenly takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to look at the wind and the waves and the faith that he was walking on before is suddenly gone. And he begins to sink and he cries out to Jesus, he's, Lord, save me. And the Bible says that instantly Jesus was there, grabbed him and pulled him up. And this is what he said to him. He said, why did you doubt me? Peter disappointed him because he doubted Jesus. And people will disappoint you as well. Second thing we face, people issue we face, is that people will make mistakes. People will make mistakes. It's part of life. They're just going to do this. And Peter makes some mistakes as well. In fact, one of them is he gets in an argument with Jesus. Jesus is talking about how he's going to die, and he's going to, go to the, he's going to suffer and, and be, be murdered, and, and Peter's like, no way. There's no way you're going to do that. There's no way we're going to let that happen, and this was a mistake because Peter's just, just, just absolutely lost his mind, and Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Now, you know you done messed up when the Lord of Lords is looking at you calling you Satan, Right? That's, that's kind of a situation that you want to really internalize and start to question your decisions in life. Like, wow, I, he just called me Satan. People are going to make mistakes. Next thing you'll face that Jesus faces is that people are selfish. I think this one's my spiritual gift. How many of you guys would say that this is your spiritual gift too? You have the gift of selfishness? Some, oh, you guys are liars. There's so many of you. <laughs> there you go. There's a few hands. He got two hands right here. That's awesome. We all have the gift of selfishness. We, we, we look out for number one. We take care of ourselves. That is our natural bent and our tendency. Some of you are sitting there elbowing the person next to you. You hear him? He's talking to you. I'm talking to all of you down every single row. I'm talking to the person on the right and to the left and the person right in front of me. I'm talking to everybody. We all have a gift of selfishness. And even Peter, in fact, all the disciples really displayed some selfishness. Jesus, of course, is nearing the time of his arrest in his story, in this story, and Jesus is, is really troubled about it. In fact, if you read the account of it, when Jesus goes to pray, he even talks to God and says, man, this is, this is too much. Is there another way? If there's another way, let's do it that way. He says, but obviously I'm down for whatever you want to do, God. I just want you to know that if there's another way, let's do that. He was overwhelmed. And so he takes his disciples with him into this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he leaves most of them behind, but he takes his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, with him a little further. And he comes to me, he says, guys, he said, I'm, I need to pray. He said, and I'm asking you to keep watch. Will you stay here and will you pray with me? Oh, yeah, sure, 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 yeah. But they don't. In fact, instead of being there when Jesus needed them the most, they, they fell asleep. And Jesus comes to Simon and he kicks him and says, hey, Simon. I don't know if he kicked him or not. I just imagine Simon's on the ground and he just kind of nudges him. Hey, Simon. Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? I mean, like after everything that they'd been through, after everything Jesus has poured into their lives, after everything that they've seen, remember, they've seen some incredible, insane miracles. One of their closest friends, somebody they've walked with for three years, is asking them to stay up and pray, and they chose to sleep instead. People will disappoint you. People are going to make mistakes, and people are going to be selfish. And then the last thing, this one's kind of the nail in the coffin, is people might betray you. People might betray you. I think that this is what happened to me. My, my friend betrayed my trust, and it effectively ended the relationship. It, it ended the potential 
for future relationship with him. He did it for selfish reasons too. He did it for profit. He did it for popularity. He disappointed me by his decisions. But what hurt me most was the betrayal of our friendship. And you guys know what this like, what this is this is like. You've been betrayed before. You know the pain of it. Jesus was betrayed. He was betrayed by all 12 of his disciples, not just Peter. It started with Judas. Judas Iscariot, he he betrays Jesus first. He goes to the high council and he sells him out. He says, I know where he's gonna be. I'll take the guards to him. And when when we see him, I'll give him a kiss. And that's the one you know, that's the one you wanna take away. So Jesus, after praying in the garden with his disciples, the mob shows up, the soldiers show up and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. And then as the soldiers take hold of Jesus, it's not just Peter that runs, it's every single one of them. They ran away. That's what it says in Mark 14, 50, that every one of his disciples are gone. And in one of his darkest moments, all of his homies are gone. Not a friend to stand there with him. Nobody to sit in the mud with him. Nobody to encourage him. Nobody to say, hey, bro, I know you're going through a tough time. I'm here with you. Nobody. Every single person gone. They betrayed him. But it doesn't end there, at least not for Peter. See, all of them ran away, but Peter followed closely nearby and watched where they were taking Jesus because he wanted to hear what was going to become of the situation. And there's lots of people gathered outside of the courts. And they're gathered around fires and they're listening. They're trying to keep warm, but they've got one ear turned towards the commotion inside. And while standing there with them, Peter denies the Lord. What's interesting is at dinner that night, before they ever got to the garden at the last supper, where they took communion and Jesus said, hey, remember me this way. Jesus told Peter, he said, you're all going to desert me. And Peter's like, no way. I'll never leave you. He said, Peter, you, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter says, I'll never deny you. There's no way that's ever going to happen. I won't do it. But as Peter stood outside of the courts where they were putting Jesus on trial, trying to find a reason to kill him, Peter was approached three different times. And he was accused of simply knowing Jesus, of having been with him. And three times, Peter denied him. And the third time, the moment he said said these words, it says, he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. And in that moment, the rooster crowed. And the Bible says, and I think this is just beautiful, that, that he must have been in a proximity in this moment, for Jesus to have seen him, because the Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at him. Now, I don't know about you, but somebody that's betrayed me, that ran off and left me and then betrayed me three times, I'm not going to look at them. I'm not going to give them the time of day. I'm, in fact, I'm going to look the opposite direction. I'm not going to let them in my life. Can I get a witness out there? That's our natural response to it. But that's not Jesus' response. Jesus loves Peter, and so he turns to look at him. And I think if we allow the problems of past relationships to determine how we handle future relationships, then we will limit our influence in their lives. Jesus didn't limit his influence in Peter's life. No matter how bad things got, he didn't give up on him. And that's true for us today. Jesus never gives up on us. No matter how bad things have gotten, no matter how far away we've walked from him, no matter how many times we've betrayed him in our relationship with him, Jesus never gives up on us. Some of you are here just to hear that in this moment. Jesus hasn't given up on you. Sir, ma'am, young person, Jesus hasn't given up on you. He's invested in your life. And he loves you. After all Peter did, Jesus still believed in him. And I know fully that he still believes in you. So Jesus goes on to demonstrate this uncommon influence in Peter's life. And instead of turning his back on him, knowing that he'll betray him, he he talks to him about what he sees in him and his future. And he did this before he ever got to a moment where 
Peter denies him. He prophesies to him and says, here's what I see. And he says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. In other words, he's saying to Peter, though you're flawed, though I know you're going to make mistakes, though I know that you've made mistakes, I'm not giving up on you. In fact, you've got a future. You've got a purpose. You've got a destiny. And I'm invested in that Peter, not the one that's going to make mistakes. Jesus is influencing Peter's future. Because here's what uncommon influence is. It's believing the best even after the worst. It's believing the best in somebody even after the worst. Peter couldn't mess up enough for Jesus to walk away, and it's the same thing for me and for you. Now, if we fast forward this story, fast forward the story, Jesus is now crucified. The soldiers have took him. They put him on trial. The Roman government has given permission to crucify Jesus. They've done that. He's been dead in the grave for three days, and he's risen from the dead, and now he's appeared to his disciples a couple times. You've got Peter, who ran and deserted Jesus and then denied him three times publicly. He's hurt. He feels like this relationship is never going to be the same. The thing that Jesus said about me, the one that, that upon this rock I'm going to build, he, he's going to build this church, he feels like that's gone, that he's lost that opportunity. And yet there's a scene where Jesus shows up to his disciples. Peter has gone back to what he used to do. Instead of being a fisher of men, he's gone back to being a fisher, a fish. And he's out in a boat fishing, and Jesus calls out to him from the shore, and John looks and says to Peter, hey, it's the Lord, and Peter dives into the water and swims up to meet Jesus on the shore, and the rest of the disciples come in with their fish haul, and Jesus begins to have a conversation with Peter, who undoubtedly is ashamed of his behavior, and he asks him the same three questions which I don't know why he does this. Maybe it's because Peter denied him three times, but he asked me, he says, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter answers him, yes, I love you. And, and maybe he did this to kind of bring some healing, like to do it three times because he denied him three times, but, to, to, but to, to give him a mission. When Peter responds to him, he says, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, because his name was Simon Peter, he said, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And watch what Jesus does. He doesn't say, hey, buddy, everything's okay. I'm not mad that you denied me. I'm not mad. I'm not. He, he doesn't even address the mistakes. He moves past them and he says, then feed my sheep. He takes him back to what he already saw in him. He takes him back to what he already believed about him. And he demonstrated belief in Peter. He restored Peter. He spoke to the future that isn't marred by the past and says, now you're going to be an influencer. I've been an influencer for the last three years in your life, and now I'm going to leave, and, and I'm going to leave you in place, and I'm going to leave you to be an influencer. Because, see, Jesus didn't spend three years with these guys to create a bunch of memories and selfies. That, that's not... <laughs> Jesus spent three years influencing these guys loving them, making a difference in their lives so that he could release them to make a difference in other people's lives. That's what he was doing. And that's what Jesus had for Peter and that's what he has for us. In fact, uncommon influence says, my influence is not determined by my level of success, but by my ability to help you succeed. That's a different focus. That's anti-cultural. You realize that. That the world says it's all about you, it's all about your success, and yet a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is all about your success, and you helping other people succeed. It's a focus on the success of others. That's what uncommon influence is. It believes the best, even after the worst, and doing whatever we can to make someone else successful. So how do we grow in that? Well, the first thing we do is we focus on the person. We focus on the person. We say, how, how do you do that specifically? Well, Philippians 2, 3 says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Why did I slow down there? Because I think too many times we're interested in our cell phones. We're interested in your Facebook page, but we're not really interested in your life or being part of your life. 
We're interested in your Instagram. We're interested in your memes. We're interested in funny videos that you'll post, but we're not interested in being part of your life. And to focus on others, what you need to do is to get into close proximity with them. You need to open your life. You need to share your life with someone else. You need to get to know them. You need to know what inspires them, what drives them. What, what is it that, that frustrates them? What makes them laugh? And once you get close and you get to know them, then you open up the ability or the opportunity to influence someone. And can I just share this? Start your focus on them as a person and not a project. If you continue to approach somebody as a project, they're going to feel that. They're going to know that. So, so approach them as a person, not a project. Jesus didn't approach Peter or any of his disciples as projects. He approached them as people first. In fact, in my life, this has been one of the greatest things that my pastor did for me. When he initially reached out to have coffee with me, I was scared. I don't know about you, but when the person in charge reaches out, I, I get a little like this. Anybody there with me? You kind of feel like you're in trouble when authority wants to talk to you, especially when they don't say why. They're just like, oh, yeah, I'd like to set up a meeting with you. Oh. Wonder what I did. You start making a list of things you need to apologize for, and they don't know anything about that stuff, you know? You would be wise to get to the table and just sit there silently until you know. You don't want to tell on yourself. But my pastor did that for me. He said, he just wanted to get coffee. And I was nervous, and I got to that table. I was like, oh, man. The jig is up. This guy knows. This guy knows that I'm bitter. He knows that I'm angry. He knows that he knows everything about me. Knows that I, I'm addicted to porn. Knows that my marriage is a mess. He just wants to reprimand me and give me a whole bunch of list of rules and things. And I, I just had all kinds of ideas about what coffee was about. And we sat down, and you know what he said? Tell me your story. He just said, tell me your story. And I thought, you just want to know my story? He said, yeah, man, just tell me your story. I said, well, part, any of it, all of it, whatever you want to tell me. Share with me your story. His goal was just to get to know me as a person, not as a project. And as a result of approaching me as a person by getting to know who I was, spending time with who, who I was then and there, I gave him permission to begin influencing my life. I gave him permission. If you want to grow in your influence, you need to focus on the person, on the people. So how do I do that, Aaron? If I'm ready to do that, what's the easiest way to do that? Get in a group. Get in a grow group. I know we're two, like we're like two weeks in. This is like the third week of our groups. Is that right? Can anybody verify that? I think we're three weeks in. They run for 13. Quit making that the excuse. Well, I missed up. I missed the first week. I can't go. Oh no. <laughs> no, but <laughs> cut that out. Just go. There's plenty of groups still open that you can be a part of, and they will love you and catch you up if they're doing a study. Or there's activity groups, and surely they have a spot for you. So. Just, just quit making excuses. Get, get into a group because that's how you get into proximity, into close proximity with other people so that you can get to know them. It's one of the easiest ways. Get in a group. Second thing you need to do is focus on the positive. Focus on the positive. Now, this isn't going to be easy because there's lots of negativity everywhere. In every one of your relationships, in your marriage, in your dating life, in your relationship with your kids, your coworkers, your boss, your church, everywhere you go, there, there's going to be some negative stuff. And if you choose to focus on the negative stuff, you're going to choose to limit your influence. You're going to choose to build some walls up. So you've so you got to focus on the positive. And in order to focus on the positive, that means you've got to choose to live a life of forgiveness. I know that's not easy. I know somebody took your parking space this morning, and that's just ruined your morning. How about you forgive? I'm sure somebody, somebody stepped in front of you before you could get your coffee today, and they took the last bit, and now you had to wait five minutes for somebody to get you a cup of coffee. Forgive. Like, like, like live a life of forgiveness. Live a life of forgiveness as it expands into your family's life, because you, you got to focus on the positive, because it's easy to see the negative. Ephesians 4 says this, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So, if we're going to focus on the positive, you're going to have to focus on forgiveness. Otherwise, you're going to allow criticism. You're going to allow the pain of that and negativity to kill your influence. How is forgiving somebody 
focusing on the positive. Well, in 1 Peter, it says this, in 4.8, it says that love covers a multitude of sins. Like if, you, if you want to cover a multitude of sins, that, that, you'll love somebody, so you're going to focus on the positive in them. I love this about them. I love being in relationship with them. So how you love and why you love someone is the positive in them. So choose to focus on the positive means forgiving them. In my relationship with that, that magician who betrayed me, when, when I returned to a, a Christ-following lifestyle, one of the first people that he put on my heart to forgive was, was that man, was to forgive him for betraying me. And I didn't go up to him and let him know, hey, man, I just wanted to tell you that you're forgiven. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> no, what the Lord had me do was actually call him up and apologize to him for my behavior because of how I responded, because of the things that I had done. And I asked him to forgive me. And while he assured me he, we were cool, I knew that we were not. Because he wouldn't look my direction. But I'm here to tell you that after that conversation, after I sought forgiveness, and after I had forgiven him in my heart and dealt with that in time of prayer, we look each other's direction now. We're, we're able to call each other. Now I've forgiven, I don't forget. I'm not going to go show him all my secrets, you know, but... Just being honest, but we're able. I'm able. I'm in a position that I'm able to bless him and and to be part of his life on occasion. And I'm thankful for the peace that is between us. We focus on the positive. Third thing is focus on their potential. Everybody's got positive things you can focus on, but everybody also has potential. And potential is that thing that isn't seen by them or potentially or, or uh, recognized by you. We got to look for it. You got to do some digging in somebody's life to recognize their potential and to see it. And everybody has that. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So everybody has gifts. God's put them in, in you. And whether you see them or not individually, that's okay because somebody could come along and see them in you. God's put gifts in all of you. We have, we have to see the potential in somebody's life and in the people around us. And we need four letters to do that. Once we see them, here's the four letters. You ready? I... See in you. I see in you. I see the potential for greatness. I see the potential for you to be a champion. I see in you. It's those four letters. That once we see somebody's potential, that we say it to them. That we tell them what we see. Say, I see in you. Focus on that person. Focus on the positive and begin to see. You'll be able to identify it through maybe their bent. Maybe it's something that they do naturally that they're not even aware of. There was somebody that, that I got to join the prayer team because they were constantly asking me, how can I pray for you? Who can I pray for in the church? How can I do that? I said, you know what? You probably should be on the prayer team. Oh, that makes sense. How do I get on the prayer team? Get them connected to the prayer, to the care team. You know, like, here, you obviously care about people. Well, I'm an encourager. Let me tell you something. Here's how you encourage people. Send them messages. Pray for them. Call them and encourage them. Find scriptures and send it to them. Be an encourager. Go out and you can do that in public. You can do that in church. It, it, it's, it's easy once they see what their gift is. When you say, I see in you, you help them identify it. What does the Holy Spirit reveal to you about somebody? Tell them. Say, I see in you this. Help them begin to see. Identify that bent. One thing that everybody has potential for in this room is to know God. Every single one of you has potential to know God. And every single person in your life has potential to know God. And when you can see that, then it begins to activate you. You'll begin to talk different to that person that you see. Hey, you know what? Maybe you should come to church with me. Hey, you know what? I'll bet you would love being in a relationship with God. Hey, this is the difference it's made in my life. Once you see that potential, you begin to behave different. You begin to pray for that person. When you see potential, it activates you. You take action. You say what you see in them, and then you'll see what you've said about them. Because you'll be surprised to see how many people will begin to live out what you've spoken over them. I see in you. Your influence grows when you see in others what they cannot see in themselves. Your influence grows. When you see things in others, friend or foe, you gain influence in their life. So focus on people, focus on the positive, focus on their potential, and then, and only then, 
can you focus on their purpose? Every single one of us in this place has a divine purpose. And I say divine purpose because that means a God-given purpose. Every single one of you has one. God has given you a purpose for your life. No matter what you've been through, no matter where you were born, no matter what your education level is, no matter how much money you have, no matter the sins you've committed, no matter whether you're single, married, divorced, no matter whether you're young or not young, God has a purpose for your life. And it's his purpose. And it's, and it's not a purpose that, that he looked at you and saw how you were wired and said, well, then I'm gonna go ahead and have him do this. No, scripture says this, for we are God's masterpiece. That you are made exactly the way that God wanted you to be made. And he looks at you and calls you a masterpiece. The way that you are wired, the talents that you have, the interests that you have. God made you that way intentionally. He says, you're his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. That means that before you were ever in your mother's womb, before you formed there, God decided the thing he had for you to do and created you to do it. Some of you didn't hear me because you think you're here by mistake. That might be your parents' story, but that's not God's story for your life. You're here on purpose, with purpose. God created you to do a very specific thing before you were ever born. And we need to focus on someone's purpose. Help them discover what that purpose is. Help them to refine it. Help them to grow in it. You know, one of the greatest gifts, one of my other pastors, his name's Gary Fowler, one of the other gifts that he's, he's given me is he's continuing to invest in me as a pastor. And even before I was ever a pastor, they, they gave me an opportunity to preach. And I'd had only like one other shot in my life to do that. And I can't even really remember how it all went. It was wild, man. It was, it was this, this, I don't know, I was, I was emulating one of them screaming, yelling pastors. It was early in my life, you know. I didn't know what to do. Oh, God. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was wild. And I called up Gary, and I said, you know, man, I, God's given me this gift to preach. He's put this in me. He, he's made me a communicator, and I'm thankful for that. But, you know, I don't know how to end the message. Like, I can talk, but how do you bring somebody to a point of decision? They, they decide to do something with what you've been talking about. We call it a transformational conversation. He says, so you want to know how to land the plane? I said, yes, I need to know how to land the plane desperately before I run out of gas in the middle of the air and we all burst into flames and crash, you know, like it's got to end on time and at a time for a purpose. So Gary spent time investing in me and helping me understand how to land the plane, helping me grow in the gift that God had placed inside me, my purpose here on this earth. Because if you really believe in somebody's purpose, you're going to help them grow in it. You're going to encourage them. You'll stand by them and you won't let them fail. That might mean some different kind of conversations. That might mean encouraging conversations. That might mean some tough conversations. Like, hey, bro, you blew it. Like, hey, man, I, I love you, but this is glaring right here. You're going to help people grow in that way, and you'll do that with love or you'll offer well dones. But either way, we all need those conversations from somebody who's focused on our, on our purpose, not just our performance. And we can do that for people around us. And some of you, I understand your pushback in this room is that simply you don't know what your purpose is. So how can you help other people find that purpose? Well, that, that's why I would encourage you to be part of Growth Track. Growth Track is four simple steps that we offer here as a church. We've helped, we prepared something for you to help you find out why God has you here on this earth. What is, what is the way he's wired you and gifted you so that you can use what he's placed inside of you to make a difference in somebody else's life? Growth check is going to happen during the first service, 9 a.m. service. Step one starts on the first Sunday. That's next week. So guess what? It's your lucky day. You can make a commitment today. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go to growth track next week. I'm going to be in that 9 a.m. service, and I'm going to be there. And I'm going to discover my gift. I'm going to discover my purpose, and then I'll be able to help other people understand their purpose. So why is it so important that I know that my purpose? Well, so you can be connected to the body of Christ. You understand that, that, that the Bible talks about us collectively, not just simple church, all of God's churches as a body. 
and that we all have a role to play, but a lot of you guys don't want to be connected. You want to call yourself a hand, but you want to be a severed hand laying over here. But let me tell you something about the severed hand over here. It doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have life flowing through it. It's not connected to the body, and it will die. If you want to experience all that God has for you, you need to be connected to the body. You need to know why you're here so that you can do that and serve and live out that purpose. You need to make a difference in other people's lives so that they join the body. And they, in turn, do the same thing, make a difference in other people's lives. So you know your purpose. Some of you know your purpose, and you need help. And, and, and some of you don't. You need help finding them. Go to Growth Track. I promise you, we'll help you. And the last thing is focus on the process. Why? Because it's a process. You're going to need some help. You're going to need to walk people through the process. It's not an instant thing. It's not overnight. You know, it was a year and a half after my pastor said, I see in you that God's called you to be a pastor before I stepped on a stage and was Pastor Aaron at Simple Church. It's been almost six years. In May, we'll celebrate six years that I've been doing that. And let me tell you something. Yeah. Uh, I'm still in process. I'm still growing. One, one of the, the pastors here, he laughs at me. He says, he says you know, I, I like you because you, you have no idea what you're doing. He said that to me early on. And as our church continues to grow, that's the, still the same story. I'm just following Jesus. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm in process. God's still working on me. We're all in process. And the thing about a process is, is it might not be easy, but it's definitely worth it. Any of you have ever worked to accomplish something, to lose weight, to, to, uh, to get a job, to win the heart of that special person? Whatever it is, you, you've, you've gone through a process, and, and while it's not always easy, it's definitely worth it. And the process is worth it. We're all in a process. But even though we're all in process, we all need to get to a place where we invest in someone else's process, where we, like Jesus, invest in them. And make things happen for them because what we make happen for them, God says he'll make happen for us. Jesus said this, don't judge others and, you'll, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you'll receive. A lot of people try to make that about money. It's not. It's about people. Look at the context. He's talking about people. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. And the amount you invest in people will ultimately return to you. The amount of focus you put on people, the amount of focus you put on the positive things in their lives, the, the, the amount of, of focus you put on their potential and their purpose, all of that will come back to you. That's what uncommon influence is in our relationships. The best way to love someone is to help them become the best version of themselves. So invest in your relationships. Be part of their process. Be part of, of the process in your spouse's life, in your kid's life, in your co-workers' lives, your friends' lives, the, your subordinates, those that, that work for you. Be a part of their process, someone in your community. Why focus on all that? Why focus on the person, the potential? Why focus on the positive? Why, why focus on all these things, their purpose and their process? Because I believe that our greatest accomplishment in life is someone else's. It's someone else's. And that is uncommon influence. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would help us to have uncommon influence. And for many of us, Lord, that is going to look like surrender. Surrendering our, our desires, surrendering our rights, surrendering our right to be right, surrendering our right to be hurt. Surrendering the debts that, that, you know, that, that we owe people because they hurt us. It's a whole lot of surrender. Well, Lord, this is, this is what a life with you is all about. It's taking our desires and, and dying to them daily. Taking up your cross and following after you. Living the way you did, Jesus. And, and I pray today that we see that, that this is what you've done for us so that we can do it for others. So we can, we can focus on relationships. We can focus on the positive in someone's life and not the negative. We can forgive them. We can make that choice. We can focus on the potential that's there.
and serve them, help them grow in their purpose and discover it. And as we do, as we invest in their lives, God, as we're part of the process of of helping them succeed, Lord, I know that all that's going to come back to us. And we thank you for that. Help us do this. Help us not only serve each other, but serve you in this way. Now, there are many of you that are here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You just don't have it. But I want to start today. I want to help you start a relationship with God, and we do that today through Jesus. That's that's how this whole thing begins. See, the same way that Jesus loved Peter is the same way that he loves you, relentlessly, unconditionally. He's not concerned about what you did last night. He knows what you did last night. He's not concerned about what you did last summer. None of that is on his radar. In fact, he paid the price to forgive you for all of those individual things. No, Jesus is concerned about your future. He's ready to give you a redo and a restart, just like he did with Peter. And today you can begin that relationship. The sins and the mistakes of the past that you've made, he'll wipe them clean. He'll actually do better than just wipe them clean. He'll redeem them. He'll use them for his purposes. Others of you are in this room. You've already been in a relationship with God, and you would identify that I've betrayed my relationship with Jesus. I've walked away, and I haven't been following him. And right now in this moment, no matter where you're at on that journey, either just needing to begin or you feel like you've betrayed him, today is your day, and this moment is your moment to return. God's not mad at you. He's just ready for you to come home. And so I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you'd like to be included on that prayer, I want to ask you to stand up. Come to the front, wherever you're seated right now. If you'll just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. Do it now. We'll count you in on that prayer. Slip your hand up high so I can see you. It's awesome. Thank you. Anybody else that said, today is my day. Church, let's pray together. If you're watching online, you can pray with us now. If you're listening through the podcast, pray where you're at. I don't care if you're in the middle of a gymnasium, at a grocery store, or running on a treadmill. Whatever, whatever it is you're doing, driving down the road, pray with us now. And everybody prays together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for my sins. Show me how to live for you. Give me a brand new life. Give me your life. Today I give you mine. And I'll live for you all of my days. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.